Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Everything is Brand. This week, we want to talk about mergers and bringing brands together. So the topic is when brands merge. Let's talk. All right. So over the last little while, there's been some really big mergers in a whole bunch of different industries. If you take a look at, you know, some of the biggest like Microsoft and Activision, or you look at in healthcare, Merck and Acceleron, or Intuit and MailChimp also in tech, you know, even going back to some of the really big influential ones like Disney and Marvel and Pixar, mergers really can bring huge brands together. And when that happens, there's a lot of considerations that have to be thought of. Does, you know, which is the primary brand? Do the brands stay independent of each other? Do they completely merge and come up with a new brand? It's quite a detailed thing, but we've seen quite a range of of what's happened out in the marketplace. But let's talk about what it means to brand. Some of these big mergers, let's let's really focus in on probably one of the biggest ones uh, and most recently is the whole Microsoft and Activision because the gaming world is such an influential part as we move into the, the metaverse and everything else. Is Microsoft trying to get in on Meta's, uh, you know, place, even though their stock dropped by, you know, $240 billion in the last few days? Is Microsoft trying to get themselves into a new area and be seen in a different way? What do you guys think? Well, I think they are, to be honest. One of their big issues is that they are not producing any huge games for their main console, which is Xbox, right? So they need to find a way to compete with Sony, Nintendo, and the other big brands out there in terms of gaming consoles, right? Since they have the money, well, they've started acquiring brands. But I guess my question to to the team even is, what happens with those acquired brands and the perspective, how they are perceived to the general marketplace? Yeah, I think it's different for every merger or every acquisition. I think that some brands survive and some don't. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Activision, but if you take a look at what happened with like Disney and Marvel, Marvel is stronger than ever, even though technically they're owned by Disney. But Disney's whole brand alignment is really about letting those brands that they've purchased live and breathe and grow and continue to leverage everything that those brands have brought to the table. Like the three biggest brands that Disney owns are probably Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. And it's not like they're trying to roll them up under Disney. I mean, we're all aware of the affiliation, but those brands still live independently within the larger entity. But that's not always the case. Well, I guess it really all depends on how much equity is in those brands, right? Like if they have a huge following, if they already have an audience, then it makes sense to actually keep that brand alive and just keep going with it, right? And and potentially even grow the importance of that brand. And then in other cases, if a brand is less known, they may over time kind of fold it under the main corporate brand, right? So it really depends on the strategy in terms of why they acquired that brand. Like, is it purely a growth strategy, right? And in that case, they may actually fold it under their main corporate brand. Or is it market dominance in some other way, right? Like they may actually be buying a whole new audience by acquiring an existing brand, right? So if that's the case, then it makes sense to actually keep that brand because you would potentially lose that audience if you actually all of a sudden erase it 
and say, no, now it's under a different brand, right? So it really depends, I guess, on why the acquisition happened and what they plan to do with it. There's a recent example of this that's getting some backlash as well. The Oculus Quest, it was acquired by Facebook, i.e. Meta, and they've started rebranding it. So instead of being an Oculus Quest 2, it's now going to be a Meta Quest 3. And there's been some pushback from customers on that because the Quest is very successful. They have a lot of brand value, brand equity there that they've built up over the years. And people's concern also is that you're dragging some of the negative impressions and implications of the Facebook and Meta brand into a product that was already very successful. And some people might not be aware that it's a Facebook product, but now that they're putting Meta on it, some people are saying that maybe that wasn't the smartest move because there is such a high volume of customers that are concerned about the Facebook brand. Yeah. And sometimes organizations take over brands because they want to, and they don't really care about the audience. They're much more concerned about their corporate direction and their their own corporate position. And I think, you know, Meta is a really good example of that. It almost feels like their view of the world is that everything becomes Meta when it's part of Meta. Whereas I think Disney's view of the world is we can all play well together in the same sandbox. And, and I think that has a lot to do with just general corporate values and, and less about audience and less about whatever could happen to those brands. We're talking about Facebook and Meta, the whole switch from Facebook to Meta. I think Facebook was trying to put a positive spin on themselves and, and rebrand and, and get bigger. But so I think they still see Meta as a good thing, a, a, a new positive brand. But what the public is seeing is that Facebook is just changing into Meta. And so Meta is still negative. And so, yeah, I see what Sasha's saying about switching Oculus to Meta. But I think Facebook's looking at Meta like it's positive and this is a good thing. And we want to, you know, we want to bring everything under the umbrella. Whereas like Disney and, and all of that, all of those brands still have a lot of equity and still have a lot of value. Star Wars, Pixar and Marvel, they're all positive brands. And I think that that's when the roll up under happens is when those brands lose that value and there's not as much importance to them. I find the Pixar one a little bit interesting and I don't know about you guys, but I'm confused by the whole Disney animation because some things are branded Pixar, some things are branded Disney, but when you watch the movies from a look and feel, they look almost identical. Like I can't really tell the difference between a Pixar movie and a Disney animated movie, but there's multiple things happening there. So I find that one a little bit confusing, but yeah, I, I think there are very different scenarios uh, on, on, you know, in, in different ways that people are going about it for sure. I also don't like how they treat them with a slash. Like they've literally kept the logos, kept the brand and literally just put a slash. Like we're not going to deal with this right now. It's like, can't make commitments, don't want to deal with it. Let's just put a slash in between it. Yeah, I think like if we're talking about the Pixar one, I think Disney's big plan when they acquired Pixar was to immediately bring them under. But I think that there was some backlash there. And so they had to kind of keep the Pixar brand alive. You know, and that's back when certain people were running the studios and there was the stories were great and there was a distinction to a Pixar movie that I personally don't think is there anymore. I don't think that just because it has the Pixar stamp on it now, it's going to guarantee that it's a good movie like it did back when, you know, it was Toy Story and, and Cars and all that. Now I find that it's, it's a little bit more watered down because Disney's got their hands into things. Yeah, 
that's probably a good example of when some brands are acquired and they may actually have a plan to do something. And then if they realize after the fact that there's either pushback or additional value in that brand that they didn't really take into account, they may actually delay that folding under the main brand. And this is maybe one of those examples where Pixar at the beginning had a lot of value and it's being eroded over time or it's slowly being transferred over to the Disney brand, right? So different strategies, right? In some cases, the you know, acquisition happens, it's a financial transaction. The bringing of brands together may take two years, five years, 10 years, right? Like it just depends on what they're trying to do and how visible it is. And in a lot of ways, it's a window into what their business practices are. Because if you're an organization that recognizes the value and you're an organization that recognizes what the audience wants, then you're going to perhaps delay that, like what happened in the case of Pixar. But it'll be interesting to see, Sasha, based on your example of Oculus, it'll be interesting to see what Meta does with Oculus, because if there is pushback and they decide to stick with Oculus, then maybe they're not as steamrolling as I think that they might be from a brand perspective. But if they basically say, audience be damned and let's get Meta in there, then it says a lot about their business practices. But uh, I think a lot of times companies also buy other companies to position themselves differently for future growth. I think one example is uh, Maple Leaf Foods acquired a company called Field Roast Grain Meat. So Maple Leaf Foods, a meat producing company, and Field Roast is a vegan company. So you would think, why would they even think of buying that? But it's, it's a growth opportunity. It's a new market opportunity. And it's interesting because when that was in the news, a lot of people who are vegan and believing in that whole, you know, follow that lifestyle, they were like upset about it. And it's like, what's happening here, right? But it makes a lot of sense from the business perspective, but it also makes sense to keep that brand intact because you can't mix audiences that have different points of view, right? And this is a perfect example where they have to keep that brand alive because it makes sense in terms of how to communicate messaging and what it actually means to the audience. Well, I mean, I think ultimately, like these brands that are getting acquired, they're obviously doing something right, right? They're, they've obviously boosted their value to the point where somebody buys them. So they've kind of figured it out, you know, whatever they're specializing in. And it's a question of like when those other brands that do acquire them come in, how much they kind of let them steer the ship versus getting their own people in there and and changing things and watering it down or that kind of thing as well. So that all kind of plays into it from a strategic business perspective. And then I think it's just, when is the right time to rebrand or change things or adapt things has to be kind of figured into that. So ultimately, I think sometimes they do it at the right time and sometimes they do it at the wrong time. Yeah, and they don't they don't always know what the right thing is, you know. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe there is no good time either, right? Like that's the thing. Maybe you just kinda have to jump in with the Oculus and the Meta Quest, right? Like I think that that's a thing where there's probably not a right time or a wrong time, and it's just like, you know what, we're gonna do it, we're gonna face a backlash, and in the long term it's hopefully gonna play out in our favor to bring it under the meta, you know, because really when I think of, you know, meta that's where I think of them in that space, in the VR space, right? So they they really need that product to be branded in that space as well so that they can get behind their name and, and start showing things for their value. So 
Well, it brings up a really good point, and I think that this is such an important point to the conversation, and that is a lot of older established companies where their brand might be a little old or tarnished or or whatever it might be, have established a name for themselves in the marketplace. But the other thing that they've done is they've probably made enough money to go out and purchase an up-and-comer or a startup or someone who is kind of innovating. A lot of times what happens when these brands merge is that the older established brand is buying either new technology or innovation or a difference to the way culture is happening. Like you were saying, Marco, like the reason Maple Leaf bought Field Roast is because Maple Leaf is old news. I mean, being a butcher or a a meat company is not going to get them into the 21st century in the way that they need to be there. And I think that it's probably the same with Meta and Oculus, or it's the same with Microsoft and Activision. They're really buying street cred or innovation or a different way. And and the reason that they're able to do it is because they have all of this money because they have been successful over history, but they might not be successful going forward, or they might not be able to pivot or change or innovate quickly enough to affect the main brand. And I think that that's probably a big reason and probably determines a lot about when they're going to make that shift. And it's interesting to that point, like acquisitions uh, happen all the time. Massive global corporations are constantly buying smaller, innovative, different thinking, different approach type of companies. Companies like GE or, you know, Pfizer or like Microsoft, Apple, they're constantly acquiring companies. So it's going on all the time. It's just that in a lot of cases, you have a specific audience. And if you're not part of that audience, you don't even know that it's going on, right? And over time, if they do it really well, people may not even realize that it's under a new ownership, new leadership, and it just kind of happens and people move along and it's all good. Well, last year in 2021, there were over 20, almost 22,000 mergers and acquisitions, and they were of all different shapes and sizes. And, And to that point, I think that this happens not only in these big instances that we're talking about, but even smaller instances and where there might only be 10 customers that really love a brand and that brand goes away because it's been acquired or merged or whatever. And in other cases, these smaller mergers and acquisitions, the brand sticks around. And But to that end, I think the most important thing is that as long as customers feel like they're getting the same delivery or they feel like they're getting the same experience, or if the amended experience is still a positive thing, then I think that people are pretty forgiving about this kind of stuff. I don't think in a lot of cases, brands don't matter to the major population if their experience is still the same. If those elements of the brand are being carried over or they feel like it's still connected, then a lot of people will forgive. I think it's a little bit different for some of these major, huge brands like a Pixar or where people are are highly invested in it. But generally, what people want ultimately, I think, and what customers want is to feel like they're still getting the experience that they signed up for. And I think that there is another part to mergers and acquisitions as well. You know, we're talking about kind of the external audience, but then there is the internal audience, the team, the employees, partners, all that stuff, right? And that needs to be managed as well, because sometimes you have very different cultures that come together. 
you know, especially if it's a larger corporation that's established and perhaps moving slowly and all that stuff. And you have, and they acquire a young company that's very innovative, moving really fast and all of that. So it can be a big culture shock to the team. And maybe that's, you know, a bigger discussion and, and maybe we should have a whole other podcast to that. But managing that internal culture is a big part of brand building, right? And, uh, and the success of the brand. In the beauty and fashion industry, acquisitions are just the standard. I mean, the vast majority of the big fashion brands are owned by only three conglomerates. It's the same with beauty. Vast majority of them are owned by L'Oreal. And that's been the case, the point that you were making, Brad, about innovation. And the same, Marco, you about finding ways to get into different markets, different customers, different audiences. That's something that we see with L'Oreal. An example is Deceum. That's a smaller beauty company that is very focused on being eco-friendly, purchasing only the products that you need, et cetera, et cetera, which is kind of the opposite of the impression that people have of L'Oreal, which is something that they've had a lot of issues with animal cruelty and being a brand that doesn't care too much about the environmental impact. So they have been slowly acquiring Deceum. They at one point only had a 20% stake and it slowly crept up into, I think, the 70s at this point. They have a majority ownership of Deceum. And that's something where they're expanding into a completely different audience, but it's completely quiet. The Deceum brand hasn't been touched at all. So that that audience is still purchasing from them with, with no knowledge effectively of how the ownership and the structure and possibly the values behind it are changing. But if people found out, do you think that they would leave them? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it a bit shady? It's tough. Like I'm obviously aware of that ownership change and I still buy products from them because I do really like that particular brand and the products that they offer. And that experience to me hasn't changed. It's still the same products. When you go into the store, it's still the same great customer service, all of that. But it is in the back of your head that, okay, there is something different going on behind the scenes now. It used to be a Toronto brand and that's not the case anymore. And it's, I think that's the same kind of thing that's going on with Oculus where people are really drawn to that product. It's something that's far ahead of its competitors. They might be concerned about the ownership by Meta and Facebook, but the product is so good. The value is still there. The experience is still the same. And so they're still making the purchase. Yeah. I think that people are, are loyal for a whole bunch of different reasons. I think to your point, Jeremy, I think that some people would look at that and say, ultimately my money's going to L'Oreal and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so, you know, there probably are people like that, but Sasha, as you said, there might be a little bit of respect for L'Oreal for understanding how important customers are to that company and also what that company stands for in the marketplace. And so some people may look at that and say, okay, well, Yes, they ultimately own it, but they respect the brand. And so I'm okay with that. So I think it really depends on the consumer or the customer. I've got an example of one that went the other way in terms of like, we're talking about the big conglomerate, big brand, basically either acquiring others for IP intellectual property or just gobbling up the competition to make themselves larger. We're also seeing similar services and products, et cetera, being acquired. One that was interesting to me was Ginger and Headspace. So it's actually Ginger acquired Headspace, however, and became Headspace Health. So this is one where the acquired brand ends up being the main brand now, right? And I found that really interesting because, I mean, Headspace has done a lot of great work 
in their branding department and awareness and whatever, but it has become larger than Ginger who acquired it, right? So I hadn't heard of Ginger, or at least I wasn't too familiar with it. I think I might have heard it in passing, but Headspace was definitely the larger brand awareness company. So it was interesting to hear that one basically take the Headspace name and that became the parent company of that one. Yeah, and, and maybe that was their goal all along. Maybe they had money and not enough brand value and who knows, right? Who knows what the reasons are? I mean, I think it I think what you're saying, Gabby, is it really points out that there's all different reasons and all different scenarios where this happened. And it depends on ultimately I think what organizations have to do is they have to look at who they are in the marketplace, but they also have to look at how consumers or customers view them. And they also have to look at what they want their business to be going forward. It's, it's like, that's kind of like the triumvirate of what they need to put together when they're making these decisions. And the fact that a brand is an actual asset, right? Like it, there is a value, a dollar value that's assigned to the, to that brand. And in a situation like uh, Gabby's example, maybe they did an analysis and realized that that particular brand, even before they went ahead with the acquisition, had a much, much higher value in terms of the audience and everything else that's attached to it. So it makes sense to do that, right? So it's quite possible that you know they acquired them for that reason alone, right? That they just needed to actually move into that space very quickly and building their own brand would take them way too long. And this was maybe a cheaper option and kind of get to that very quickly. So there is definitely a lot of value in the brand itself. But somebody made this point earlier. At some point, does a brand not need to reevaluate? Often we just keep the company intact, et cetera, and just attach it like Square and Afterpay, for example, right? You've got all these, okay, you know, here's the payment, but now you can pay it this way, pay it this way. And that some point down the road, that becomes a bit of a, a complicated experience to the end user. And I'll go back about the whole TD and Canada Trust. Back then, you know, 20 years ago, that I guess kind of made sense. I mean, they literally merged both logos together and both brands together. And now all of a sudden, 20 years later, like it's just disappeared. My point, maybe not 20 years, but, you know, I think while some things may make sense to kind of keep temporarily from a brand once it's been acquired. At some point, you need to evaluate those two brands and whether they do need to blend in together, especially when they're augmented services to a main service, things like that. But that actually highlights the point that a brand is a living, breathing entity. It is constantly changing and evolving, right? So you can't develop a strategy and that strategy will just be perfectly fine for the next 20 years. It won't be, right? Because the market changes, the audience changes, the, you know, what people are looking for changes, what, you know, where the, co the company is going changes. So any brand, you know, is constantly changing and evolving. And, you know, maybe that's the point where it's like they kind of had a plan for 10 years, let's say, to kind of do it one way. And maybe that was always planned that they're going to phase it out. Maybe that wasn't the case. And they realized that it just doesn't make any sense to keep that part of the name and take it out. It, the point is that it's constantly changing. Yeah, I think people's brand loyalty wanes also. I mean, just because you went to Canada Trust 20 years ago doesn't mean that 
20 years later, you have that same level of loyalty. I think what we see there is currently what's happening with Disney and Pixar. I, I don't think that the Pixar brand is as beloved as it was, you know, when that merger happened. And eventually, the bottom line is that Disney is known for animation. The idea that at some point, Pixar won't flow into Disney animation with all of their history and position in the marketplace. I think we're just kidding ourselves to think that that's not going to happen. But I think it just takes time for people to change their viewpoint of how they view some of these brands. And I think in those early days, it's tough because people are really tied to the Oculus brand. And so they might not like the meta change. But over time, I think that that wanes. The bottom line in all of this is that when brands merge, the questions have to be asked, what are customers and consumers thinking about this? And so we have to take that into account. The next question has to be, what is the plan for our business? What do we want to do with this? What are we trying to achieve? Are we trying to build the main brand? Are we okay that the secondary brand can sit with it in conjunction for a while? Is this a long-term strategy? Really understanding what those business issues are. And then third, looking at what is kind of happening in the marketplace. Does it make more sense to bring that innovation to the forefront? Does it make more sense to bring kind of the smaller brand to the forefront and keep it out there because the overarching idea of what people are looking for and want in the marketplace is better served by that brand. So organizations and brands really need to think about all of these things when brands merge. So that's this edition of Everything is Brand. Next week, we'll be back with a new topic. So join us then. And remember, everything is brand.